G'day, I'm Scott Sanders and welcome to the Reach Australia podcast. The vision of Reach Australia is to see thousands of healthy, evangelistic, multiplying churches. We want to see new churches launch and start and not only survive, but see evangelistic growth. We also want to see established churches become healthy, seeing lost people one for the first time and also seeing people spiritually mature and grow. One of the great initiatives that we've started over the last few years is the Reach Australia Development Program. We want to see theologically driven, spiritually vibrant, evangelistically urgent, practically skilled church leaders. And this two-year program is all about seeing all those outcomes. The program includes a comprehensive church consultation, monthly gospel coaching, and three leadership development intensives. To register your interest, go to reachaustralia.com.au. This episode is a recording from the 2021 Reach Australia National Conference. And we've all heard it. Actually, we think we can take pride in certain parts of our ministries, but actually those are the very parts that we might be overlooking and not doing in the right ways. And so we've heard about the why, and now we're going to look at the what. And to help us with that, we've got Lionel Windsor uh, to join us and to help us think through a theology of the word. Uh, Lionel teaches at Moore College and attends St. Augustine's in Neutral Bay. Uh, And just as a personal word, uh, there you go, all the way back there. Um, Hi, everyone. Today you're here. We planted our church in Melbourne three years ago. We're in our third year right now. We started uh, by preaching through Ephesians. Uh, which was the same time that you were uh, recording a podcast series, uh, Lift Your Eyes Through It. And that really helped me. It helped me and our church deepen in the Word. And I trust you'll be able to do the same for us here right now. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I'm really glad for the opportunity to be here and to speak today. Uh, it's really great to see you. Really great to see some friends from uh, St. Augustine's as well. It's great. Really glad to share with you from God's Word. Uh, and I'm going to share today a powerful principle for church growth. It's very much a principle that we're looking at. We need to think about both principles and pragmatics, don't we? Uh, As we seek to to reach our nation with the gospel, as we seek to address uh, some of the issues that Andrew has just mentioned. Uh, This particular talk is very much on the principle end of the spectrum. Uh, So it's a principle to undergird and to inform your pragmatics. Uh, It's a principle, actually, I'm sure that many of you already know in many ways. I hope it's something to build on. I hope that we will be able to build on it a little more and clarify it and uh, knock it back and forth in our panel a little bit later on. Uh, The principle is taken from the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 4. It's actually taken from that series, Lift Your Eyes, that I have online. So apologies if you've heard it before. I'll be adding a few things, so it's not going to be exactly the same. But it can be, uh, this principle can be expressed very simply, a little bit like a slogan, and that is speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. just want to think about slogans for a minute. Slogans uh, are very uh, catchy. Uh, slogans, what they do is they, they crystallise our thoughts. They capture our imaginations. You know, maybe M's are slogans, not sure. But, but that's why slogans are so useful for selling ideas. You know, just do it. it. inspires you to go out there and get active, preferably wearing a certain brand of, of sporting gear. I'm loving it. It inspires you to get in there and feed the tasty fast food into your system so you can experience the the sugar rush. And we Christians, we use slogans as well. Um, Jesus is Lord. Brilliantly concise summary of the gospel 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, which has so much in it. Uh, Other slogans that Christians have used, what would Jesus do? You've heard that one. Uh, Popular 90s catch cry designed to inspire people to imitate Jesus. Sometimes as Christians we use old languages for our slogans uh, because using an old language gives our slogan weight uh, and it connects us with the great figures of former generations. Have you heard or used the Latin slogan semper reformanda? You heard that one? Uh, probably used in the, the 17th century. Uh, that's probably where it began. And sefer reformanda is, is often, um, I've heard, translated always reforming. And often, sometimes I've, used, I've heard it used to say something like this. Because the world around us keeps changing, uh, and because the church will never be perfect this side of eternity, uh, the church always needs to keep reforming, keep reforming itself in each new generation. So sefer reformanda is often used uh, to, as a call to remember the reformation's not over. We need to keep up the reformation effort always and keep reforming ourselves. But the problem with slogans in old languages is that sometimes they can be mistranslated and used in a way that they weren't actually intended to be used. And sefer reformanda is actually a prime example of that because uh, when it was originally coined, it didn't mean that the church is always reforming. Uh, the complete uh, phrase is the church reformed and always being reformed in accordance with the word of God. And of course, those who first used the slogan believed the church is always in need of reform, but they didn't express it as always reforming. Why is that? Well, firstly, because they didn't actually see the church as doing the reforming itself. They saw the church as being reformed by, by God through his spirit. It's actually a passive thing. It is, it is God's job first and foremost. And secondly, they, they realised it was a vital principle that has to guide all reformation, and that is the word of God. And so if you translate it as always reforming and just leave it there, it might sound like it's our job to reform our ministry in the sense of changing its form or, uh, or, or coming up with new ideas about God for a new generation. But that's not what those who first coined the slogan were trying to say. They were trying to say that the unchanging word of God needs to constantly reform us. Us. And they weren't thinking at that point about structures or or ministry pragmatics directly, they were thinking about us. They were thinking about the need to grow in holiness, in in piety, in love, in, in maturity. To be reformed ourselves in our hearts. To bring the daily lives of Christians into line with the truth of the gospel because the gospel, the word of God through his spirit is to reform us. And that, in fact, captures many of the important ideas in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. In Ephesians 4, 14 to 15, Paul's talking about the growth, the growth of the body, the body of Christ. That is, he's talking about church growth. It's, he's talking directly about church growth. The body is the church. And he's giving a key principle for how church growth happens. You can love it if you like. Some of the words will be on the screen. Others won't be because I'll be going back and forth a bit. When we think about principles for church growth today, we might have in mind things about how to reform our our structures, um, update our language, update our presentation of the gospel for the needs of the current generation. And of course, we've got to think carefully about all those things, don't we? That's important. But that's not what Paul is directly talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul's principle for church growth, for the growth of the body of Christ, is actually something far more Fundamental. It's not a principle of presentation. It's not a principle of organisation. It's not a principle of, of structures. It's a principle for us as Christians 
for you and me and everybody in our churches personally and together. And it's for our hearts and it's for our lives. And it's a principle for what we say to each other and it's a principle for how we treat each other. The principle involves God's spirit by his word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, reforming us as we speak and live in light of that gospel constantly. And the phrase that Paul uses here to express this principle is speaking the truth in love. So Ephesians 4, 14 to 15. This is Christ's purpose, that we might no longer be infants, sea-tossed and carried about by every wind of teaching, by human trickery, by craftiness in lying schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we might grow in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ. So let's explore exactly what that means. What about that, that first part? Before Paul gets on to talking about speaking the truth in love, he actually talks about his opposite. And that's, of course, that's a, just a, a good key principle just in teaching, isn't it? In, in, in teaching your people, you actually say, you don't just say what's true, you actually say the opposite and say that is wrong. Uh, we need to be doing that. Well, this is what Paul does. He talks about its opposite. And Paul's language here, um, if, if you get into it, it's like going on a roller coaster of language because it's this mixed images. And you need to, to hold on tight as you ride through this roller coaster of mixed images. In the, in the previous verses, uh, back in uh, verses 12 and 13, Paul's been speaking about the goal for Christ's body, that is Christ's people. And it's a body united in faith and knowledge of the Son of God, which makes it a grown-up, a mature body. But that goal is not necessarily the situation for Christ's body as Paul is writing. The opposite of, of maturity is being infantile. So here Paul describes what an immature body looks like. Instead of being united in faith and knowledge as one mature adult, one mature body, it's like a bunch of babies. And then Paul shifts the images and describes what being infantile in faith looks like in another way. It means being tossed around by wild seas, blown about by, by wild winds. And the point is if we're not united and mature in our faith and knowledge of Jesus, we won't have a firm anchor that will keep us secure and rooted and stable and well-founded when the raging waves and storms come. That's the image. What's Paul talking about here when he talks about the storms? Well, he finally finishes his wild mixture of word images and tells us what the storms are. Basically, it's false teaching, false truth, falsehood. And there's this poetry here. Um, Paul's rapid storm of words kind of reflects the disastrous effects of false teaching, bewildering us, blowing us back and forth. The teaching Paul's talking about here can be just called false. I called it false teaching. Why is it false? Well, actually, there's two reasons that it is false. Firstly, it's false because it doesn't reflect the truth. Uh, the truth is the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. False teaching is teaching that's not centred on the truth of Jesus Christ. It's not centred on him, on the Lord Jesus Christ, his Father. It's not centred on who he is, what he's done, what that means for us and how we believe in him. It's not centred on him. False teaching distracts us from the truth about Jesus. It moves us away or it contradicts the truth about Jesus. Or it says, oh, Jesus is sort of important, but here's something else that's so much better. And so it tosses us and, and blows us about as we go from here to there. But there's another reason why it's false. Secondly, false teaching comes from false motives. 
human trickery, craftiness in lying schemes. False teachers have false intentions. And that's true whether they admit it or not. They're, they're not ultimately seeking to draw us to Jesus Christ, but to, to catch us up in some other human concern of their own making. Maybe false teachers want to, to make money. Or maybe false teachers want to, to feel powerful. Or they want to feel important. Or they want recognition or kudos. Or maybe they're trying to fill an, an emotional chasm in their own lives, drawing followers and fans to praise them. Whatever it is, their motives are not right. And there's a question for us to ask, isn't it? You know, what are our, our own motives? Why are we doing this? But this, according to Paul, is what the immature body of Christ looks like. Not firmly rooted in the truth of God and so unstable and blown about by human ideas. But then after describing false teaching, Paul goes on to describe the members of Christ's body speaking the truth. What's the truth? Uh, speaking the truth in love, it's not just sort of you know, saying, you know, it's not like it's not just a principle for just giving feedback or something. You know, like you just say, you've got to say the hard things, but do it in a nice way. That's not what Paul's talking about here. The truth is not just referring to true things in general. Uh, in, in Ephesians, when Paul mentions truth, and he's mentioned it quite a few times, he's talking about a specific truth. Early in Ephesians, Paul has talked about the word of truth, that is the gospel, chapter 1. The gospel, what is it? It's the message about salvation for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's spelled out in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, the gospel is about salvation. It's about being rescued from the futile life of this world. Rescued from our sins, rescued from our rebellion, rescued from Satan, rescued from God's wrath. Rescued from the control of the powers that be. Forgiven through Jesus' death for us. Given a new life which is secure because we're raised with him, with a risen and victorious Jesus Christ and we've been given a whole new life to live. Works prepared for us to honour God and to walk and to talk in new ways. This is the truth, the word of truth, of the gospel. Truth means the gospel message and its implications in our lives fundamentally. You can see that in lots of other parts of Ephesians as well. Chapter 4, verse 21, the truth is in Jesus Paul talks a bit later about the righteousness and devotion that comes from the truth. He says in chapter 5, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And then right at the end, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Um, in in the, the Greek, it's the, the, the phrase speaking the truth in love, it's literally truthing in love. Uh, truthing is not a real English word, so it's kind of not there, but it helps us to see what Paul's getting at. He's not just saying to say, say true things in general or, or even say hard truths. I mean, it's, it's really helpful to hear the hard truths. It's a really good thing. Thank you, Andrew. But that's not what he's directly talking about here. He's saying that we should be speaking in a way that is constantly informed by the key truth that matters, the gospel. Truthing involves speaking this truth, speaking the gospel, speaking the implications of the gospel, speaking in a gospel-shaped way. And, of course, that will involve saying true things. It'll involve saying hard things. But it means so much more. It means speech that flows from the truth of the gospel. But Paul isn't simply saying here that we are to speak, full stop. Speech matters, what we say, do with our lips. But he says we are to speak the truth in love. And again, what's in love? Um, 
love has been redefined in our world, hasn't it? You know, in our world, you've asked somebody what love means. Um, either love means sort of, you know, not being, uh, not, not having kind of any opinions that somebody else is doing the wrong thing, that's loving them, um, or it kind of means just having really strong feelings for somebody. But in Ephesians, uh, love is, and in, in the Bible, love is so much more than that. It's not just an attitude. It's not just referring to acting in a kind of a charitable way. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there's this particular and amazing kind of love in view. That is God's love. God's love in Christ. And we see, if you just look at the word love in Ephesians, God's love undergirds his eternal plans for us in Christ. God's love stands behind his and is the expression of his mercy in rescuing us and raising us up with Christ, chapter 2. Chapter 5, Christ loved us. How? When he sacrificed himself for us. He gave himself. It's a giving love, giving of oneself, dying for our sins. And this love of Christ needs to change absolutely everything about our lives, we see in chapter 3. When we grasp how vast this love is, it provides an anchor and a grounding for our lives. That's what Paul's been saying. So love should characterise our lives as God's children. Knowing the love of Christ causes us, should cause us, to live lives of love for others because we are secure in his love. It's a love that permeates. And here Paul's saying that God's love brings us into a whole new sphere of loving relationships, the body of Christ. It's the, the lifeblood of the body of Christ, love. The lifeblood that flows from the head, ultimately, who is Christ where we live out that sacrificial and costly love with others, a love that is a hard love, a love that is a sacrificial love. It's a costly love. It's costly in many ways, costly in time, financially costly love. And it's about speaking the truth in love in the body. And that is maturity, isn't it? That is our aim. So what's speaking the truth in love? It doesn't just mean saying true things in a nice way. No, it's, it's far more important than that. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's about relationships and it's about maturity. It means speaking the gospel. It means speaking the implications of the gospel. It means speaking in a gospel-shaped way and it means speaking in lives that are shaped by the gospel within that whole network of loving relationships characterised by God's love for us in Jesus. God's love, which also fundamentally determines how we speak. It's the opposite of being blown back and forth by those false teachings which point us away from Jesus and which point us away from the love that is in Jesus. Instead of false teaching, we're to build one another up with the truth of the gospel in the body, in love, growing up and growing out and growing up and growing out. So speaking the truth in love is a key principle for church growth. I know it's not a simple recipe. It's not a... a easy to follow 10-step plan. It's something at this point far more fundamental, a core principle that should undergird everything else. It's the fruit of light to look for. And that's what I want to urge you to remember today, to keep that principle at the front of your heart and mind in everything you do in ministry. Here's some ways it works. Here's some ways it doesn't work as well. Um, firstly, speaking the truth in love is a, a package deal. See, Paul's not talking about two competing principles here. It's not, it's not a balancing act. <laughs> It's not as if you can have a gospel truth on one hand and, and gospel love on the other hand. And what you have to do is to weigh them up and try to balance them with one another. You can't say things like, oh, we've had enough truth 
Uh, now it's time for a bit more love, you know? So, so uh, people are feeling a bit battered at the moment by all that talk about sin and judgment and repentance. So what we need is less of that. Um, you know, too much Christ being the only way, too much uh, all that purity in our sexual lives, all those kinds of things. It's just too much Bible, 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 Bible this, Bible that. We've had too much teaching. It's all a bit cerebral. Now it's time to just tone us down, stop being so judgy, stop being so intellectual. Just hug people for a while. Just accept each other. You know, because the Bible is getting in the way of real authentic relationships, you see, because it's all just so cerebral. We've got to stop that. But you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. But exactly the same is true in reverse. And I wonder if we need to hear the other side. You can't say things like, well, we've had enough love, now it's time for a bit more truth. Uh, we're all, we're all you know, kind of happy, we're, we're accepting of each other. We kind of care about each other. We generally forgive. There's lots of sharing and caring and everything, but that's made us soft. So what we need to do is stop being so touchy-feely, enough love for goodness sake. We've had enough of that, enough sharing. We need more truth, more Bible, less love. That's what has to happen. Cancel the meal rosters, cancel the support groups. We need them to know about sin and judgment and repentance and Christ being the only way. They need to learn about purity and they need to know the truth better. No, no, we can't do that doesn't work that way. Truth and love go together, speaking the truth in love. Gospel truth is to be spoken in loving relationships formed by the gospel of God's love for us. Gospel truth without gospel love is a mockery of the truth because it's not the truth. The gospel is all about God's immense love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about in the midst of our sin and judgment, which is also true. But on the other hand, of course, love without gospel truth isn't gospel love. And if we think we're loving each other by putting aside the truth of the gospel, the truth about God's love for us in Jesus by saving us from our sins and from death and raising us up with Christ, then we're not being true. And we're not being loving either. We're just being kind of vaguely accepting and, and tolerant. And we're just doing the love thing that our world defines as love. And here's another point too. Speaking the truth in love is a package deal for all of us in Christ's body together. Uh, now that's spelled out more in, in verse 16. Uh, but in, in, in verse 15, what we see is that we all have different gifts. And we all, uh, sorry, verse 16, we say we, we all have different gifts and we all play different roles in Christ's body. That's true. And Paul's spoken about the different gifts back in verse 7, the different ways that Christ has apportioned those gifts. He's mentioned particular people. He's mentioned apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Uh, different kinds of people. Verses 11 and 12. They all do different things. But speaking the truth in love is not one of those different things. Speaking the truth in love is for all of us in the body. See, it's not as if there's a kind of a truth part in God's body. This is the truth part, okay? So here are the truth, the truth people, the truth section of, of Christ's body. And then there's the love people in another section of Christ's body. It's not like one half of your church is about, you know, being loving, being loving and sharing and caring, or the other half is getting the doctrine right. You know, so if you do it that way, it'll, it'll work. No. <laughs> it's definitely not the case either that the ministers and leaders have the job. Well, they've got the job of getting the truth right, while everybody else's job is to do the, the loving things doesn't work. Truth isn't just something that matters for the leaders. Love isn't just something that, happens for, that matters for the non-leaders. It doesn't work that way. That would be a recipe for utter disaster. And of course, you know that what I'm saying is not just theory, is it? This is what has happened so often 
in church failures, hasn't it? The failure of leaders to take the gospel love seriously. The failure of non-leaders to take gospel truth seriously. And of course, vice versa as well. Now, speaking the truth in love is for all of us. Each of us needs to speak the truth to each other. We'll do it in different ways. Paul said that in verse 16. Uh, There'll be different ways in which we go about doing that. Each of us needs to love others in Christ's body, even though we'll we'll all do it in different ways. And one last thing, that's why uh, being a Christian who doesn't think church is important is kind of a contradiction in terms, isn't it? How can you speak the truth in love when there's no one to love? A Christian who thinks that online church is, is good enough and don't long for more, is a contradiction in terms. A leader, a minister, who thinks that isolation and distance from church members is is okay, is a contradiction in terms. Of course, you might have to set up good boundaries, etc. You need to guard your time, you need to have days off, etc. But to say that isolation is a good thing is a contradiction in terms. If we're not regularly meeting physically with God's people whenever we can... And of course, sometimes we can't. But whenever we can, we don't have real opportunities to be speaking the truth in love in the body. We all need church. We need each other. And, and you, you kind of need real physical church, don't you, to, to do that in that real and concrete way, except in emergency situations, to speak the truth in love to one another. That's how Christ's body grows and works. So that's a principle, speaking the truth in love. Um, as I mentioned, if, if you like more, um, what I'm saying here comes from a series of online reflections called Lift Your Eyes. I talk through each sentence in Ephesians, it's a podcast, etc. Um, you, can, you can go to my website and feel free to check it out if you want to see it there. But for now, I just want to encourage us to think about how to keep applying this in our situation. Here's a couple of questions for you, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll think about this a little bit more as, as uh, the day goes on, as the afternoon goes on. Firstly, in your own ministry situation, how can you promote opportunities for every single member to be speaking the truth of the gospel in their own particular ways and in different ways, of course, to insiders and to outsiders. And secondly, in your own ministry situation, how can you promote opportunities for every single member to respond to God's love by loving others in their own particular ways, insiders and and outsiders? Shall we pray? Father, we praise and thank you so much for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the love you have shown to us and for the truth that has come to us in him. Father, we do pray that you would help us to speak the truth in love, to do that more and more, and we pray that we may see that happening and that you might reform us through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Reach Australia podcast. All through September and October, we'll be releasing the talks from the 2021 Reach Australia National Conference. Registrations are now open for the 2022 Reach Australia Conference. It'll be held at EV Church on New South Wales Central Coast from the 16th to the 19th of May, 2022. Get your discounted early bird tickets now at reachaustralia.com.au.